hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Oh My Allergies podcast. This is your hostess with the mostest, Valencia. And if you are new here, the Oh My Allergies podcast is a podcast about all things allergies. Whether you have food allergies, seasonal allergies, skin allergies, or even your pet has allergies, Oh My Allergies is a safe space for discussions for those that need a bit of advice and support from someone who understands their struggle. Let's learn how to navigate life and learn how to thrive with our allergies together. Welcome back to the Oh My Allergies podcast. First things first, make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast and also rate and review the podcast if you have not done so already on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And make sure that you tell people that you know and don't know about this podcast just to help us really just grow the Oh My Allergies community, which by the way, throughout this whole year, we've done so much to be able to reach so many people and to just grow this Oh My Allergies community. So I'd like to thank everyone who has downloaded the podcast anyone that's listened to the podcast or followed us on instagram which is at oh my allergies if you don't follow us already really just definitely appreciative of all the support that we've gotten for this podcast you know this was a podcast that was started earlier this year and it's just amazing just to see all the things that oh my allergies has done in our first year and i'm just super excited for what's to come you know whether that's you know me coming on the mic and telling you guys about my experiences with my different allergies of different types because as you guys know if you've listened to the podcast for a while or even if you've gotten started that I have different types of allergies whether it's food allergies whether it's environmental whether it's with an animal you know it's just so many different things to juggle and different hats to juggle Um, but that's the life of having an allergy so I'm really thankful to be able to connect with people who have either allergies that are like mine or are mine or people who just have different allergies and being able to learn about them and their allergy journeys you know whether that's through you know our Instagram like I mentioned before or having guests on the podcast which was something that not gonna lie I was definitely a little bit like scared of but it's just been such a great time just being able to talk with people that you guys really enjoy whether that's like on Instagram or other social media platforms and being able to learn about their allergy journeys and their different perspectives you know we've had people on the podcast who have allergies themselves who've had allergies since they were a baby who had allergies you know when they were a little bit more grown up and they were a teenager or a young adult or people who you know formed businesses because of their allergies or intolerances or uh, somebody in their family or even their child having um, some sort of an allergy and really getting inspiration to be able to change um, and being able to have an impact on the allergy community as a whole so really this whole journey has just been super exciting and I'm very thankful for this community that we have and I'm so excited for what's to come in 2021 I'm just so excited but we have a guest on the podcast today we're going to be speaking with Brittany Baker of FOMO Baking Company which is so exciting in this episode and in this conversation that we had with her we really talked about how to be able to overcome the fear of missing out when you have a food allergy or an intolerance or some type of dietary restriction that restricts you from being able to have certain foods which is something that we can all relate to we also talked about her having celiac disease we talked about her business we talked about so many really cool things but before I get right into today's topic you guys know I have to talk about what's been going on so 
what's been going on with me is that final season is almost here. So I've been trying to mentally prepare myself for finals. Plus, I feel like I actually have twice the amount of finals and that I have like two weeks worth of finals just because of all the stuff that I have to do the week before finals in terms of like I have a presentation, I have like a paper due, I have exams. And so I feel like that is actually my finals. But then it's like, no, you actually have your actual finals the next week. So I'm just really trying to, you know, use my time management skills and get some studying in. I'm recording this on Sunday and literally tomorrow I have an exam. So definitely been studying for that, which I'm not too worried about uh, because I have a really great grade in that class right now. I'm very proud of myself, especially because there's just so much content in that class that it's a lot. It's a lot of reading, a lot of reading. And then I have, like I said, I have some presentations and some papers. So definitely, definitely keeping myself busy. Uh, School is definitely doing that for me. But I have like three finals next week. So I'm just really looking forward to my Christmas break, especially because this year it's going to be kind of long. And I'm just very excited to not have to think about school for a little while and you know my birthday's coming up soon so I'm really just looking forward to being done with my finals so that I can just be like whoo I'm done I don't have to think about them for a little while even though Christmas is going to be looking a lot different than it normally does I'm still looking forward to being able to find some way to still be able to enjoy the holiday season and being able to do like some Christmassy things whether that's you know like seeing some lights of some sort I know here in Georgia the Atlanta Botanical Garden is something that is very popular attraction to go to during the holidays. It's something that, you know, me and my family, we go to for the holidays and it's just really nice. It's really great atmosphere, but normally there's a lot of people that go. So I don't think we're doing that this year, which I'm kind of sad about because the lights are so pretty and they play all the Christmas music and it's just a really nice atmosphere to be around. It's super fun. There's like a, like a DJ and like there's people that are around you're listening to good music and normally it's just a really good time, especially when when people have their little uh, liquid courage and they are like dancing and they're having a good time and it's just so fun uh, but sadly there's I mean I think it's definitely going to look a lot different there and like a, a lot of other Christmas slash holiday season inspired attractions so really just trying to find a way to still be able to like I said embrace the holiday season but also being safe and being smart at the same time um, definitely not trying to get COVID or anything like that or uh, trying to get any type of flu or anything like that trying to keep my immunity and my immune system very strong but yeah basically what's been going on with me is finals that's that's just one word of what I'm doing right now is finals 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 I don't know what else to say but finals but now that I told you guys what's been going on with me I guess I can get right into my foodie likes My first foodie like you guys are probably gonna hardcore judge me but I'm okay with that at this point you know we've I've been talking to you guys for a while now I feel like you guys know a little bit about what I like and what I don't like in terms of you know food options and stuff but um you're probably not gonna be surprised by this but you'll be surprised because of the time of year that it is so my first foodie like it's a sparkling water you're not surprised because I talk about sparkling water all the time but you are surprised because we are in December and why am I drinking a cold 
drink in December, but you will surely find out that that is the story of my life. No matter what season it is, it doesn't matter. I will enjoy a cold beverage. I am that person that drinks iced coffee in the wintertime. That is me. So I've been really liking the sparkling water from LaCroix and it's their tangerine one. Uh, recently got that at the grocery store. Have been really, really liking it. It's different than, you know, your traditional orange one. That is normally one of my go-to flavors is the orange. It's just really nice, cool, and refreshing. But the tangerine, I mean, obviously it's a different fruit, so it's gonna have a different flavor to it. I just really love the flavor of it. It's a little bit stronger than the orange flavor, but it tastes really good. So if you like the orange and you want it to have a little bit more of a stronger, like citrusy, like flavor to it, I highly recommend trying the tangerine. It tastes really, really good. You may not be like me and like enjoying it in the wintertime, but once you get back in that space of where you openly love trying like cold beverages, I highly recommend the tangerine sparkling water from LaCroix be high up on your list because it is so, so good. Another favorite that I've been liking recently, it's from the Good Crisp Company and it's their original chips. So if you're not familiar with the Good Crisp Company, basically they make like these chips that are kind of like similar to Pringles, but they are more so allergy friendly and use allergy friendly, you know, ingredients. So it's a really just good, safe company for people who have some sort of an allergy or an intolerance or something like that. I've really been liking their original flavored chips. So I came across them actually at the Nourish Festival that happened uh, some months back and came across them, really liked them and tried their um, original chips and really have just been liking the original chips, their classic original. They're just so good. They're made with clean ingredients, simple ingredients. You know, if you're looking for something that is kind of like a Pringle, but is definitely a lot more healthier for you, I highly recommend you try these chips from the Good Chris Company. They're chips. They're not too salty in my opinion. I feel like they have just like the right amount of salt. You know, there's no fillers in them. There's not any artificial flavors. There's no gluten in them. There's no GMOs in them. So they are just all around really good. But those are my foodie likes right now that I've been liking as of late. So I guess I can get right into the allergy news. Today's allergy news article I'm going to be talking about is from Yahoo Lifestyle and the article is titled Children's Museum Sparks Backlash for New PB&J Cafe. Nut allergies are no joke. So from reading this article, my take is that there was a museum in Massachusetts that is defending this restaurant that's going to be adjacent to the museum. It's called PB&J Cafe after a lot of parents of children with peanut allergies are calling this restaurant opening such a terrible decision. So it's something that's owned by this place called the Stonewall Kitchen and this restaurant they're supposed to be selling like family-friendly menu items with variations of the classic PB&J sandwich on the menu along with like other things like soups and baked goods and things like that. The cafe is not going to be in the museum. It's just going to be accessible through a museum entrance and it leads you into this Stonewall Kitchen store and all this other type of stuff 
stuff, but this news has really just made a lot of parents of children that either have peanut allergies or even don't have peanut allergies. And there's quotes in this article where parents are just saying how, you know, they are really big fans of the museum and they have been for years and they take their family and it's just like this big outing that they do and they really just enjoy going with their family, but they don't really feel safe going anymore because they have, you know, children or even them having allergies to peanuts and not really feeling safe to go to the museum anymore and how it's just really frustrating and a lot of parents are just honestly outraged because peanuts we've talked about it on the podcast before they are one of the top allergens and to choose to make a restaurant slash cafe that's titled pb and j cafe in their mind they're saying that that cafe is making a conscious decision to lose out on customers because you see like the first thing you see when you go to a restaurant is its name and if you see like peanut butter and jelly cafe as a restaurant and you have a peanut allergy like you're just not gonna go like just because you see your allergen literally in the title of the restaurant so a lot of people are thinking that the opening of this cafe is just a horrible idea it's very unsafe it's very misguiding because a lot of kids with peanut allergies you know they would have fewer menu items to choose from because of you know cross-contamination and things like that because I mean you're taking a risk having your family eat at a restaurant when either you or your kids have a peanut allergy knowing that peanut butter and jelly is literally in the title of the restaurant so you know that your allergen or your kid's allergen is at the restaurant so it's just are they doing the necessary precautions to make sure that cross-contamination is not a thing in their you know in their kitchen and you know we've talked about it on the show before about different food allergy triggers and allergens and different things to be mindful of when you're going to restaurants and stuff and how being allergic to peanuts you know it's potentially fatal and it's one of the most common triggers for serious allergy attacks and that's from Mayo Clinic. Basically that's when your immune system it mistakenly identifies you know peanuts as being harmful to your body so that you might experience a range of symptoms from either having like a skin rash or even something on the more severe side that's like anaphylaxis and having it where you know you're having problems breathing and then you have to use an EpiPen or an auto injector and then it just goes from zero to 100 really really quick. So I definitely understand the concern from parents since peanuts it's a well-known allergy that a lot of people are familiar with if you're not familiar with all the food allergens everyone has heard of a peanut allergy at least once in their life and so finding out that a place that you go to with your family and you think it's like a safe environment for you and your family and then to find out that all of a sudden it's not it just throws you off and then when I was reading further in the article from my knowledge it looks like even though peanut butter and jelly cafe is the name of the restaurant that that's not the only thing that they sell but that's kind of misleading because if you want people to go to your restaurant you wouldn't put an allergy trigger or an allergen literally in the title of your restaurant so definitely it's an interesting article to take a look at so like we always do we'll have a link to the allergy nudes article discussed in this episode in the show notes so you guys can learn a little bit more about this story um it's definitely an interesting one and I would definitely love to hear your thoughts about it so definitely send us a message on the oh my allergies instagram page definitely let us know on instagram but with that being said we can now get right into today's topic so like i said earlier today we have a guest on the episode today we have miss Brittany baker from fomo baking company on the podcast and like i said i really had a great conversation with her and i hope you guys learned some things from our conversation or then maybe you're able to relate to a lot of the things that we talk about in this episode so a little bit about Brittany baker Brittany, she was diagnosed with celiac disease in 2012 and she 
found herself suddenly in the unfamiliar world of food allergies and dietary restrictions. And as she began to learn about gluten sensitivity, she discovered how widespread and far-reaching food restrictions are in a world of overprocessed foods and not just gluten, but in dairy with nuts and egg products were found where you'd least expect them to be. And then that's when she learned about the risk and the frequency of cross-contamination. And so she gave up being a lawyer and turned to the kitchen and became a full-time baker. So juggling being an entrepreneur and wearing all of the hats at FOMO while taking care of a toddler daughter. And she has another daughter due this month. Uh, So she's equipped with a brand new and state-of-the-art allergen-free kitchen. She is so passionate about making an impact in the food industry by creating direct-to-consumer fresh baked treats that no one has to have FOMO about. But with that being said, let's just get right into the episode with Brittany. Brittany, welcome to the Oh My Allergies podcast. I am super excited to have you here and to talk with you. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah. So before we get started, each episode, I talk about my foodie likes. So that's when I talk about my favorite items that are food related. So it could be a book about food. It could be a favorite meal that you just had recently that left you wanting more. So just really whatever floats your boat. So I wanted to ask you, what are some of your favorite foodie likes right now? (laughs) That's a really good question. Um, My cravings, I'm nine months pregnant, so I've been craving just some of the strangest things, Um, (laughs) most notably like bowls of lettuce, um, which is kind of unusual. But um, one thing I've made lately that I've been really into is butternut squash soup. Um, I previously haven't been much of a soup person, but it's kind of been cold here and starting to feel more like winter and fall. And now that, you know, we pretty much don't leave the house and I have the time to make more elaborate things for lunches. Um, Mm -hmm. I've been really into experimenting with soups and butternut squash was this week, which just turned out phenomenally. I love a butternut squash soup. It tastes so good. And like you said, it's just really good for like when it's like fall slash winter and it's getting really cold outside and you just want something to like warm up your insides and make you feel good and it puts you in a really good mood. But with the lettuce, I'm that type of person that just likes having lettuce in a bowl as well, just sometimes just because I don't really like putting anything on top of my salad when I have them. So I definitely understand the bowl of lettuce. I'm glad somebody understands because my husband just keeps making fun of me for it because I'll be like, oh, I'm going to make a salad. Do you want one? And he'll say yes. And then I'll give him a giant bowl of lettuce. (laughs) He's like, there's nothing else in here. But it's like all I've been wanting. And it's so weird because with my daughter, when I was pregnant, like all I wanted was sugar. Like I was such a sweets person. And so this desire to eat just giant bowls of lettuce, I'm like, I guess at least it's healthy. (laughs) Yeah, you were like super sweet, then like super healthy. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But I don't know. I'm into the bowls of lettuce too. So (laughs) yeah. So another question I have for you is if you could describe having, you know, allergies or having some sort of autoimmune disease that's very kind of similar to allergies or just having an intolerance in one word, like what would that be and why? It's hard. I mean, I think the first two words that come into mind are stressful and isolating. Um, Mm. Just because they kind of go hand in hand. 
you know, the days of just going to a restaurant or going to a party and being able to just eat something without thinking about it are gone. And those mm-hmm. two words kind of both come into play because you have to constantly think through everything before you eat it. And then more often than not, mm-hmm. you can't eat it just because you're not sure if something's safe. Mm-hmm. And because food is such a social experience most of the time, um, it becomes very isolating to be the one person generally that isn't partaking with everyone else. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. It can be at times very isolating and very stressful. Like you said, there's just so many different things that people who don't deal with those types of issues on a day to day, they just don't think about. And it's just it can be a lot at times, especially if you have multiple people in your family that have them or if you're by yourself and you're trying to juggle, you know, your personal allergies or different uh, diseases and intolerances that you have on your own while trying to balance being able to cook for your family and being able to make sure that you you give you know to both sides as well exactly so uh, now I guess we can get into the question of the oh my allergies podcast which is what is your oh my allergy story like how did you get into the whole world of of allergies of in like the autoimmune disease world and in intolerances so I think I kind of have two of my allergy stories, but um, it originally started about a decade ago during my second year of law school when I was diagnosed with celiac disease. And a decade ago, it wasn't nearly as popular or trendy to be gluten-free. And so it was a very overwhelming diagnosis because there weren't a lot of commercially available alternatives that were gluten-free. And most restaurants weren't familiar with what gluten was. And so it got to the point where, you know, eating anything became stressful and time-consuming. And I started cooking and baking a lot for myself. And it kind of made me really for the first time in my life start to focus on, you know, what is actually in the food that I'm eating and having to give it more thought than I ever previously did. Um, And, you know, over the years, the options have gotten a lot better and a lot more robust. And a lot of companies have kind of jumped on the bandwagon, which, you know, is both a blessing and a curse. um, Just because, I have found in my experience, and I'm sure you've seen this also, a lot of times a restaurant will say something doesn't have an allergen in it, but then there is cross-contamination, which is a whole other issue. (laughs) But um, it was then, you know, I was in law school at the time of my diagnosis and I practiced as a lawyer. And then when my daughter was born almost three years ago, that was kind of my other Oh, my moment where I decided that, you know, I really didn't want to practice law anymore. And I wanted to dive 100% into this allergy world um, and make this really this passion of mine into a career. Wow, that's, that's a very complex journey, like many of us can say, uh, who deal with, you know, allergy, immunology type of um, issues. But I mean, I think it's really cool that you were able to turn uh, what some people might view as being like an issue or something that can knock you down to something that you were able to not only learn how to navigate, but also being able to turn it into a a business. Um, But back into your uh, celiac disease, I was just curious, does anyone else in your family have celiac disease? interesting they say that celiac disease is hereditary um but as far as i know i'm the only one my parents haven't been tested for the gene but they neither of them have ever been reactive and my daughter actually we did have her gene tested and she luckily doesn't have the gene um so you know knock on wood so far i'm the only one Um, but there definitely is a genetic component to it 
Oh, wow. That's very interesting. Because I that's based off of what I know, because I have a family member who has uh, celiac as well. Um, but I was just curious as to seeing like, if it was something that, you know, maybe just some people in your family have, or maybe you're just the only one just based off of your experience. Yeah, it, it's interesting. And granted, I'm not a doctor or a scientist, but from my understanding of it, um, there's actually a lot of people that walk around with the celiac gene that it never gets, you know, quote unquote, activated. Um, and I know that's kind of one thing that a lot of researchers are trying to look into as to, you know, why do some people have this autoimmune reaction and others don't? Um, and that seems to be one of the big questions out there that hopefully, you know, at some point in the next decade or so, people can start to answer and really start to get a better understanding of, you know, what's causing this and therefore how do we treat it or how do we manage it better? Right. And that kind of leads into um, my next question just a little bit. What was your first reaction that you can remember from having gluten and like, how did it make you feel? So it's interesting. So I grew up my entire life eating gluten and celiac disease. Um, I'm 32, but when I was younger, it wasn't nearly as well known. Mm -hmm. And so in hindsight, looking back, I definitely had some of the lesser known or, you know, less popularly known symptoms of celiac disease. Um, you know, I was always on the small side and I was, you know, having rashes and skin breakouts. But back when I was growing up, it just wasn't on the radar the same way it was today. Mm -hmm. And I never had any of the typical GI symptoms. So it just wasn't even a conversation. And then when I was in law school, I got a bad case of food poisoning from a restaurant. And my stomach just never recovered. Mm. And, you know, I was with a friend and we both got sick. And a couple of days later, she started feeling better. And I didn't. And after a few weeks, I went to the doctor. And um, at the time, you know, he didn't know what was going on. But when you're sick, you know, what do people tell you to typically eat? Plain toast. Right. So I was pretty much just consuming, you know, loaves of bread and getting sicker and sicker. Um, and ultimately, it was after this kind of bout of just nonstop reactions that I was diagnosed. Um, and then it was kind of one of those things where upon further reflection, we could look at it and see, you know, these are actually all other symptoms that I'd been having and just never made the connection before. Wow. Um, and now, you know, I try to be as careful as I can, but I do occasionally eat out of the house. And, you know, anytime you eat at a restaurant, you're pretty much taking a little bit of a chance, um, mm -hmm. no matter how careful you are. And I get gluten poisoned about once a year or so. And, you know, it's within, you know, an hour, it's always the same bunch of reactions, like clockwork, um, oh, wow. that I have to things. And they're all things that, you know, on their own, people may not think about, you know, getting bloating, having acne, feeling, you know, like a brain fog, but they're not things that people tend to associate with stomach distress. And I think mm -hmm. that's sometimes why it takes so long for people to get a celiac diagnosis because everyone reacts differently and they're not necessarily, you know, the hallmark, what you would expect. Wow. That's, that's a lot. And like you said, like it's no reaction is going to be the same for one person. Like some person might have this set of symptoms. Some people might have the same set of symptoms that you had. Um, but it's just very 
interesting to learn a little bit more about your celiac journey and kind of like what's your first reaction or reactions that you can remember from eating gluten. Um, I know for me as a person who has food allergies, like I've been able to learn so many different important lessons from them. Um, I just wanted to know, like, what are some lessons that you've learned from having a celiac disease? I think my biggest lesson is just my understanding of, you know, cross-contamination in general. You know, it's Mm -hmm. taught me a new way to cook and think about what I do in my kitchen at home and what I also do when I was setting up FOMO baking. Um, Because, you know, the things that affect me affect people with other allergies. And it's made me a lot more cognizant of, you know, not only what I go through when I'm trying to order or eat something, but what other people go through as well. And it's kind Mm -hmm. of shaped just a lot of what I do. I mean, I think for me personally, when I cook at home, you know, it's completely changed everything because most of what I cook with, I cook from scratch. You know, there's Mm -hmm. not, there's not many, you know, prepackaged things that I rely on. Um, And it's made me experiment a lot more, but it's also just given me a new level of awareness. Yeah, because like you said, cross-contamination is like, a big thing that a lot of people just don't really think about because they're like oh well it's not the actual allergen like you're not actually like eating the actual allergen or like breathing it in but it's like if it comes into contact with something that could spark up some sort of reaction whether you have allergies whether you have some sort of an intolerance or whether you have celiac disease like you like it's something that you have to be extra extra cautious of not only from the allergen perspective but in the case that cross-contamination happened and a lot of times you don't even know until you have the reaction and then you're kind of mad at the fact that oh my goodness my food was cross-contaminated and then you're like well you don't want to get too riled up while you're having a reaction it's just so crazy it's so crazy and it's and that's kind of why before I said I feel like sometimes it's a blessing and a curse because with me with gluten you know it's become so trendy that a lot of times you can walk into more traditional bakeries and they'll have like the token gluten-free cookie or gluten-free brownie or what have you, but it'll be sitting in a display case with all of their traditional items and it will be baked in the same kitchen with the flour flying in the air. And there have been so many times in the past where, you know, well-meaning friends or family members will say to me, oh, you know, I was picking up a treat for myself and I saw this gluten-free cookie and I got you one. And I'll feel terribly, but I just won't eat it because the likelihood of that actually being something that I can eat without getting sick is low. And it's something that unless you have an allergy, because the allergy community is really, you know, very similar to my autoimmune issue um, in understanding this, cross-contamination is just not something that other people even think about because they don't have to think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you were talking about, you know, going into somewhere like a bakery and them having a designated, you know, gluten free cookie or gluten free baked goods in general, but then it's in the same casing as, you know, things that have gluten in them. It made me think about from your perspective, what would you say is like the number one change uh, that people or just like organizations like food related um, that deal with customers that have like celiac disease and or allergies like what are ways that they can make their business more friendly towards those types of customers I know you said cross-contamination but are there any others I mean honestly I think that that's the biggest thing Um, you know when I was launching FOMO I actually built a dedicated kitchen from scratch um, for this reason with brand new equipment because 
you know, as a business owner, I can't tell something that some can't tell somebody that a product is safe from cross contamination without making sure of it. I think that, you know, it's great when restaurants or bakeries or manufacturing plants try to put protocols in in place to clean equipment or to, you know, only manufacture things on certain days. But I do personally think that if you have these allergens present, there's always going to be the chance of some kind of human error or some kind of contamination. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, there really is no way to make a shared space, quote unquote, safe. Um, You know, it could be mostly safe. And, you know, most of the time when people eat something, they will probably be okay. But you can't really let people have the same level of comfort without having the dedicated space. And, you know, informally, prior to launching FOMO Baking, I spoke with a lot of allergen families who have, you know, either allergies themselves or kids with allergies. And so many times people would say to me, you know, I don't feel comfortable with, you know, products made on shared equipment or when they have, you know, the may contain warning, because you don't know necessarily what's behind that statement. And, you know, especially if you're somebody who can have an anaphylactic reaction, it's just not worth taking the chance. Yeah, totally. I, yeah, I have an anaphylactic allergy to macadamia nuts. So yeah, definitely. It's like, if I see may contain, I'm like, okay, let me turn the other direction. (laughs) It's just, it's not even worth it. And I feel like that's kind of something that's so unfair and so difficult for the consumer because, you know, there are companies that put may contain statements on everything just to kind of cover their butts from lawsuits. Mm-hmm. And there's companies that, you know, put may contain statements, but do have very rigorous cleaning protocols, and maybe their products are safe. And then there's companies that don't do as much from an allergen perspective and put the may contain statement. And as a consumer, you never know what you're going to get. Right. So speaking of uh, FOMO Baking Company, uh, could you walk us through the journey of the challenges you had with discovering that you had celiac and then how this all led to the concept of you forming your business? Sure. So as I mentioned, I was in law school at the time of my diagnosis. And um, at that point, you know, I personally became obsessed with baking for myself and cooking for myself. And learning more about what was in my food, but I wasn't doing anything as a career for it. Mm -hmm. And I graduated from law school and I went to a large law firm. And then I ended up going in-house with the Haines Celestial Group, um, which is one of the largest natural and organic consumer product good companies, um, which was amazing. And I really got a huge education on the food industry and the FDA and what kind of regulations need to be in place and what kind of protocols need to be in place. And it was while I was working there that I really, for the first time, started to think about, you know, I've always had this pipe dream of opening a gluten-free bakery. Maybe it's not such a crazy idea. And, you know, a couple more years passed after that and more and more gluten-free bakeries have popped up. Um, as has become very trendy. Um, And I then realized after my daughter was born almost three years ago that, you know, I wasn't passionate about practicing law 
but I was really passionate about being back in the food space. And as I started to look into the market of what's available, I realized that I was living in New York City at the time and there were amazing gluten-free bakeries and there were vegan bakeries and there's a nut-free bakery. And you can find specialty bakeries for all different allergens. But if you're somebody that suffers from multiple allergens, it's very, very difficult to find something that's fresh baked and safe. Right. And when you leave a major metropolitan area like New York, it's almost impossible to find some place that has a dedicated facility for no cross-contamination that's fresh baked and safe. And, you know, as we discussed earlier, having these types of allergies or conditions can be so isolating at times. And so I really wanted to create something to solve that problem so that no matter where you live in the country, you can have a fresh baked dessert that you can eat safely and that tastes so good that you don't feel like you're missing out on anything. And everyone that you're enjoying it with who may or may not have any allergies doesn't feel like they're sacrificing to eat something that's allergen free. Because, you know, you may have experienced this. I definitely hear this from my friends all the time. But half the time when I'm like, hey, I'm eating like, you know, a gluten-free bagel. Do you want to try a bite? Everyone like makes a face like, no, thank you. Because there's such a stigma about it. Yeah. Like they think that either it's not for them or they think that, oh, well, that equals something that's not going to taste good. It's not going to be delicious. And it's just going to taste, you know, maybe dry in the sense for things that lack exactly. gluten. Exactly. Or if you say, you know, take a bite of this vegan cookie or what, whatever it is, people have this mental image and they don't want to try it. And so, you know, one of my biggest goals with FOMO baking was to create something that tastes so good that nobody knows that it's allergen free. So if you're having a holiday or a birthday party, you can put it out and everyone can enjoy it. And the person that does have the allergy or the intolerance can eat it too without, you know, having to bring their cookie from home. Um, and they don't have to be left out, but nobody else is sacrificing great taste to partake altogether. Yeah, so what is the meaning behind the name of FOMO and what made you want to name uh, your business FOMO Baking Company? And it's a little bit tongue in cheek, you know, FOMO stands for fear of missing out. Yeah. And it was really created with the mindset that nobody should have to miss out anymore. You know, I spent so many years missing out on desserts and partaking in these kind of social settings. Um, because of my celiac disease. And this is a common feeling of people with all different allergies. Um, and, you know, speaking with parents, especially who have young children, it's every time there's a party at school or a birthday party, they have to send their kid with their own cupcake or own, their own cake. I wanted to create something that everyone could enjoy together so that mm -hmm. nobody would have to have FOMO anymore. And I think that that's really good because I know that I figured out that I had um, some of my allergies um, from different parts of my life, kind of like some when I was, you know, younger and was a baby, some when I was more so older, like a preteen type of thing. So really having to navigate those situations when you're that young with being able to see your friends eat certain things and then you not being able to eat them and then you having that, you know, that sense of FOMO, fear of missing out. Um, so I think that having more and more products that are able to have, you know, people from all different ages, whether you're a kid or whether you're an adult and you have allergies, being able to still enjoy the things that you may have had um, previously, but being able to enjoy them in a whole different way. Exactly. And being able to enjoy them in a way that you don't have to worry. You know, one of 
one of the other kind of principles that I had when founding formal baking was that transparency was key because there's nothing more frustrating than just not being able to know if something is safe um, or having right. to spend, you know, countless hours calling companies to figure out manufacturers or where they get ingredients from. Um, or even, you know, in the case with the gluten allergy, you know, if something has oats in it, are they really dedicated oats? Are they following purity protocol? You know, is this something that I can safely consume? And it was with that in mind that every ingredient for every product is clearly left listed on the website because I don't want people to have to waste their time, you know, trying to find out if they can, can safely consume something. And, you know, there are many people that have allergies that aren't part of the top eight. And those are just as serious and just as difficult to manage for those people as well. And so I wanted it to be something that was just easy. You know, you can enjoy cookies without the stress. Yes. Yeah, so in particular, um, what made you want to go into the whole baked goods and uh, cookie space in particular? Because I know that there's just so many different arenas that you can go in um, while making, you know, a gluten-free product. Um, honestly, it was just thinking about what I wanted the most. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's cookies are one of those things where I think they're kind of special because there's so many types of flavors depending on like your own personal taste preferences and um in originally starting this and look at some point in the future i would love the opportunity to maybe expand into other baked good lines as well that are totally allergen free um but starting with cookies just made sense because i'm i love the classics like plain chocolate chip cookie is my absolute favorite and when you go to the supermarket and you buy the gluten-free cookies they're the kind of you know crumbly crunchy ones and those are delicious, don't get me wrong. But sometimes you just want like the fresh, big, chewy cookies. And um, that was kind of what I was personally missing the most. But then when you talk to people, some people don't like chocolate chips. Some people like sugar or snickerdoodle or oatmeal raisin. And cookies just seem like a fun thing to start with because all of the flavors taste so different. But there's really something for everyone, depending what it is that's like the sweet that they gravitate towards. And so I wanted to create something where somebody could really get whatever they were craving. Or right. we have a project called the FOMO, which is all six of our flavors together. So if you're having a party or you're having a holiday or a get together, you don't have to choose one flavor. You can have all six and there's going to be oh. something for everyone there, no matter what their favorites are. Oh, wow. That's so cool. I like that idea. That's very cute. And personally, I like the brownie flavor. Just putting that out there. It tastes really good. I tried it. It tastes really good. <laughs> That's my daughter's favorite as well. <laughs> but um, another question that I have for you, um, and you talked about it a little bit, but what was why was it important for you to create a brand that was just not a gluten-free brand? Because I know you, we've talked about earlier in the episode how you've had celiac disease, but I just think it's very interesting that you just didn't go and make a gluten-free brand. You made not only a gluten-free brand, but an allergen-friendly type of brand. So part of what sparked my decision is when I was first diagnosed with celiac, um, my GI doctor actually had me go strictly dairy free for the first three years as well. Um, so I was personally familiar with how difficult it was to be gluten and dairy free. Um, but it was also just kind of trying to talk to people and see what the need was out there. Because especially, you know, being in New York City, when I was starting this, 
there are amazing, amazing dedicated gluten-free bakeries. You know, I got completely Mm -hmm. spoiled. There's French bakeries and there's pastry (laughs) bakeries and there's a bagel. You can literally find anything gluten-free and delicious. But once you have to cater to more than one allergen, it became almost impossible. And I would think about, you know, how isolating it felt for me at moments. And I decided that if I was going to do this, I wanted to be as inclusive as possible. And look, nobody can ever hit it out of the park 100%. You know, there's, I know that there's still people that, you know, for instance, um, react to chickpeas and we use um, legumes in our flour. And, you know, I was never going to be able to create a product that every single person in the world can enjoy. Um, You know, I'm very well aware of that. But I wanted to make it as inclusive as possible, which is why I started off making it, you know, gluten, dairy, egg, peanut, tree nut, soy, um, and sesame free, because I wanted to at least hit on all of the, you know, top major allergens to try Mm -hmm. to cater to as a large group of people as possible. So since FOMO Baking Company is all about, you know, cookies um, and baked goods like that, what is your favorite baked good in general? And then what's your favorite baked good from FOMO? I mean, I think my favorite baked good in general are cookies. And I'm obsessed with our chocolate chip cookies. They are my absolute favorite. (laughs) Um, If I had to choose another product, you know, that wasn't, something that I create on my own. Um, There is a little gluten-free bakery um, in New York City that sells a chocolate brioche um, that's out of this world. And, you know, I I don't know anything about French pastry um, (laughs) in terms of how to recreate it on my own, but that would probably be my favorite baked good that's not something that I can create at home or replicate on my own. So with your company being named a FOMO, what are some tips that you have for people who have like celiac disease or even people who have food allergies like myself who may have major FOMO when it comes to food? How do you navigate those types of situations? You know, I try to always come prepared. Um, You know, I do feel grateful that, you know, it is becoming a more well-known and aware thing and people are starting to have more awareness. So there have been, you know, I'd say slightly less times that you have this feeling of being left out, but I also always, you know, bring snacks in my purse for lack of, you know, better way. I, <laughs> I always carry, you know, like not like a handful of nuts or some fruit or, you know, if I'm going to a party where I know there'll be dessert, um, we sell our cookies in sealed five pack sleeves, they're bite size. So I'll throw one of those in my bag. You know, I try to create a situation where if I don't feel like whatever's being served is safe for me to consume, I won't eat it. But then I do get Mm -hmm. a little bit hangry at times. So I always try to make sure I have, you know, an emergency (laughs) food stash. Um, I always keep Lara bars in my purse because they stay good, I think pretty much forever. And you know, you can't really smush them. So it's just trying to be prepared as possible because there's never going to be times when a hundred percent of the time you can always eat everything safely. Um, and I never want to be in a situation where I'm so hungry that I intentionally consume something unsafe. So it's just, you know, it's something you learn to deal with and just prepare for. Yeah. And 
it's just when you have to go in different situations that are kind of outside of like your safety bubble, aka like being at home. It's just could be very frightening. So I definitely do agree with packing little snacks that are safe for um, people's own dietary needs and restrictions and things like that. And because I do that myself, like whether I carry it when I'm going out to eat with people, not really being sure where we're going to be going, uh, just in case there's nothing for me to eat there. I try to do as much pre-planning as I can, but you can't pre-plan for the (laughs) pre-plan. I try to. Um, And then also because since I'm still in university, like being able to pack things if I'm going to be going to conferences for a student organization or packing things if I go to a student event and there's nothing for me to eat or being able to just be prepared for those situations where people are like, oh, well, because I have uh, dairy allergies. So a lot of times people are like, oh, well, we have lactose intolerant things over there. You can go get that. And I'm like, that's not the same same thing, but okay. (laughs) It's hard. And I think that that's probably one of the biggest challenges that, you know, people face. And as you just mentioned, that even when people think they have an understanding of it, they don't necessarily. Um, And it's hard because people mean well, and it's well-intentioned, even though you know that, you know, but that's still not safe and I still can't eat it. Right. So I know earlier in our conversation, you talked about uh, FOMO Bacon Company's very allergen-friendly kitchen. Could you tell us more about it and why it was um, important to you and your company to have a kitchen like this and kind of like what are some protocols you guys go through in your kitchen? Yeah, so it's it's kind of one of the biggest foundations of starting FOMO Baking and it was one of the biggest challenges um, just because before I could ever sell a single cookie, I needed to build out an entire commercial kitchen from scratch. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my kitchen at home is gluten-free, but I certainly have other allergens that are present and have been present in it. And in doing this, I wanted to make sure that my products were as safe as I could possibly make them for the consumer. So I actually found a space that had formerly been a dance studio and built out a completely brand new dedicated commercial kitchen. And um, in doing so, you know, purchased all brand new equipment. And that's kind of like a dedicated safe space now. I don't eat anything um, in the facility. The only thing that's allowed inside the building at all is water. Um, And every day when I come to work to bake, because I also personally bake everything. Um, I change (laughs) into clothes that, you know, I've never worn at home or never worn outside of the facility. And I then start baking, you know, wearing these dedicated clothes. And then when it comes time to eat lunch, I will change back into my clothes and I'll either go sit outside or sit in my car if it's raining. And I just, I take it very strictly. And I recently had help come in. Um, I hired somebody to help me bake because I'm nine months pregnant and can't do it all on my own. Um, and she follows the same protocols as I do. And we take it just very, very seriously. It's the utmost important. I would never want somebody to get sick 
because of anything that happened. And, you know, I feel like there's there's only so many ways to ensure that there's no cross-contamination if you are allowing allergens to be present. And so the only way to make it as safe as possible is to ensure that there's just no allergens there. And the other thing that we do in the facility is that in sourcing all of our ingredients, I actually have certifications from all of our ingredient suppliers that they our ingredients either come from dedicated facilities or dedicated lines so that I don't even have to worry about that at the ingredient level that something was cross-contaminated. Um, and look, I, I don't personally go to those factories. I'm not personally overseeing it, but I am trusting that, you know, when a company certifies this to me that they're taking the necessary steps and they're segregating everything in the necessary way because I want people to be safe. That's, you know, the number one goal. Wow. That's, that's, that's a lot, but it's really great to hear that FOMO is just very, very concerned about making sure that their products are just as safe as they can be. And that's a really great thing because there's so many companies that, you know, want to put their blank friendly or blank free, but they're not taking the necessary precautions to make sure that there's not cross-contamination taking place or that there's not any hidden allergens in there or something like that. So I think it's good that, like you said, that FOMO really tries to do a really great job as being as transparent um, as they can be and will be. So I think that that's really great to hear. It's it's one of those things where in talking to people, it's so appreciated and then it makes me feel really good about it. You know, it's been almost exactly a year since um, Bomo Baking officially launched and just the messages from parents about, you know, this is the first cookie that my child was able to eat that I didn't have to bake myself um, or the fact that, you know, I'll occasionally have people reach out to me and say, you know, I see you use allergen free chocolate chips in your chocolate chip cookies, but I still feel nervous. Who's your supplier? Anytime somebody reaches out to our info at email address, I tell them whatever it is they want to know, because there's nothing more important than somebody feeling comfortable with their decision. And, you know, I jump through all these hoops with the ingredient suppliers to make sure that you know, they're doing what they should be and that it's a dedicated facility or dedicated line. But if it will make somebody feel more comfortable for them to be able to call and do that as well, I'm completely fine with that as well. You know, it's not some big secret. I'm not one of those companies where, you know, people have to just make guesses or some, you know, huge secret where I source things from, you know, these are all companies. And if, you know, reaching out is going to make a consumer feel better, then I'd rather they just do that. Wow. That's really great to hear. Now, I have another question for you, and I, we might have touched on it a teensy bit, but I wanted to know a little bit more about how you come up with the different uh, flavors for your products and what's kind of like the inspiration behind all the different um, flavors that you guys have as far as like cookies. So originally, you know, with the six that we currently have, which are chocolate chip, oatmeal raisin, oatmeal chocolate chip, sugar, snickerdoodle, and brownie, those are our flavored bites. We also have cookie cakes um, for local pickup only, and we do, you know, special seasonal holiday sugar cookies with, you know, colored sugar for whatever the holiday may be. My goal with these original launch of products was to have all of the classic covered. So no matter what you were craving, if you're a chocolate person, if you you're an OD person, if you're a sugar person, that there would be something for everyone. And that was my first goal. 
And then, you know, a lot of it was just the trial and error. I don't have a culinary background. So it took about a year and a half to come up with these recipes of, you know, how to create something when you're not using the traditional ingredients of flour and butter and egg to make it taste amazing. And so my original goal was to kind of knock off these flavors. Actually, oatmeal chocolate chip was the last to be added, um, which I added because I personally love the oatmeal flavor with a little bit of, you know, the cinnamon in it, but I cannot stand raisins. So so um, oatmeal chocolate chip became the sixth. But um, I just wanted to have something for everyone to start. I wanted it to be as inclusive as possible. So you just brought it up as far as like how to be able to um, make cookies and cookie bites and, you know, your cookie cakes and things like that that you just mentioned without being able to use uh, certain ingredients like, you know, flour and butter and eggs and things like that. Could you talk about the process of creating like the different cookies and uh, brownie bites without gluten, even though gluten is known as being like the quote unquote glue when it uh, comes to baking? Honestly, it was just a lot of trial and error. You know, I have for the last decade cooked and baked for myself a lot personally, gluten-free. Um, so I had some experience, mm-hmm. but honestly, a lot of the flours that you use alternatively if you're baking gluten-free aren't necessarily appropriate um, if for the other allergens. You know, a lot of recipes call right. for either almond flour or a lot of flour blends will call for some whey. So it really was kind of a brand new experience trying to bake completely allergen free. Um, But I started off by just experimenting with different flour blends to try to get one that had, you know, the right consistency for cookies. And then I started going from there just trying to really just play with different ingredients and finding out what works and what doesn't work and what tastes good. And you know, it was just a lot of trial and error. So I have another question for you that I've been thinking about just from your perspective, like are all gluten free products like created equal? And like what I mean by that, like, are there things that you should look for when you're looking for a high quality gluten free product to avoid, like you said earlier in the episode, you know, cross contamination and other different factors like that when you have like celiac or or and or uh, food allergies? So I think there's a couple things to look for. Um, If I'm going to the store and I'm buying something, I prefer to look for something that's certified gluten-free. You know, there is some confusion amongst, you know, consumers at times of what gluten-free means. And gluten is actually defined by the FDA. Um, To have something be gluten-free, it needs to have less than 20 parts per million. But the other allergens don't have the same FDA, you know, regulations in place. So if something, you know, says non-dairy or dairy-free, it's a more fluid interpretation. It's not as strict. Um, But with gluten-free, if I'm looking for, you know, a commercially produced product on a supermarket shop, I'll personally look for something that's certified gluten-free because that means that there is, you know, more testing that goes into it. Um, Interestingly, my formal baking products are not certified gluten-free because to have the certification, you need to have a much larger processing facility and manufacturing facility. And um, I make everything by hand. So, you know, we weren't eligible for that certification, which brings me to my second point that if I'm going someplace or I'm going to buy a dessert or something that's not mass produced and would have that certification, I would look for things that are made in a dedicated facility. And in terms of ingredient wise, you know, everyone's different with their sensitivities, but a lot of people that have intolerances or have celiac disease react to a lot of the, you know, 
gums, like the xanthan gums and those types of fillers, which are often in gluten-free flour blends. Um, I try to, you know, not eat a ton of them just because I don't love how they make me feel. Um, and then the other things that, you know, I personally look out for in my life and I incorporate into the FOMO baking products is not eating, you know, artificial flavors or colors or preservatives or natural flavors. Um, you know, those are kind of the buzzwords that you never necessarily know what you're getting. And so I try not to purchase products that include those. And in forming FOMO baking, I was very cognizant to do everything naturally. You know, the sugars, the colored sugars we use and the coloring we use to make the icing for our cookie cake are all colors that are created using fruits and vegetable dyes instead of, you know, red dye number six. Which is really good to hear because like you were saying, like with specifically the dyes, like there's just so many things and like ingredients that go into those different types of dyes that a lot of people people don't really even know of or know like what to look for or don't really do the research that they probably should to be aware of what's in like the typical dyes um, and just in general I've been seeing a lot more companies like when it comes to uh, quote unquote coloring things like using things like beet juice and different fruits and vegetables in that way to be able to get like more of a natural a way of coloring different things which as a consumer you know from my perspective I think that that's really good. Yeah I mean it, it's funny it was one of those things that was always so important to me and you know if you go on our website and you look at our holiday cookie bites or our cookie cake the colors are a little bit more muted at times than what people are used to seeing um and that's because it's not artificial and you know that that's what happens when you're not using these lab created dyes and it was kind of a sacrifice and a pro con i was willing to make because it felt more important for people to be eating, you know, dyes that are created from real fruits and real vegetables than to have, you know, the hot pink. <laughs> so um, one thing that I wanted to ask you was what are some of your go-to safe meals that you have that makes you feel like you're not missing out on anything, like not having FOMO? If I'm cooking at home or if I'm eating out? <laughs> Um, if you are cooking at home, because probably most of us are at home right now. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is true. I, I have not been in a restaurant in about eight and a half months. Um, but if I'm eating, if I'm cooking at home, I really, you know, I feel lucky that I have gotten very creative over the years. Um, there's really nothing that I haven't been able to replicate at home, you know, about like once every week or so we'll have pizza at home and we'll just make our own you know, dough and bake it ourselves in the oven. Or, you know, I have a pasta maker and I'll make pasta from scratch or I'll make bread Ooh. from scratch. Um, I really, especially now that I pretty much don't leave the house other than to go to the bakery, um, have had the time, you know, one of, I guess, the silver linings of what has been going on this year is the amount of time at home and the amount of time just to kind of play in the kitchen and make these things. But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, the typical comfort foods, I, I discovered recently a recipe online that I tried um, for a deep dish gluten-free pizza that was just amazing. Um, I hadn't had deep dish pizza probably in 15 years. Um, and it just, you know, it tasted like that gooey, cheesy comfort food. <laughs> <laughs> My last question for you is for those who are in the world of allergies and intolerances and they're new to it, what advice would you give to them? 
probably the best advice is obviously to consult with their allergist or their doctors. But I also personally found it very helpful to connect with somebody else who had the same diagnosis I had. Um, in my case, I had a friend that had had, had celiac disease. Um, just because having the conversations about, you know, what to look out for and what questions to ask, it can be a little bit overwhelming at first. And the places where ingredients could be hidden or, you know, the things that are very susceptible to cross-contamination are not necessarily things that are intuitive. So like for me, for gluten, for example, you know, French fries are a big one because a lot of times restaurants will say that French fries are gluten-free and, you know, their potatoes and oil, they should be gluten-free. But 90% of the time I can't actually eat them because they're made in a fryer with things that are breaded. Um, but if somebody didn't tell you that that's something to look out for, you wouldn't necessarily think about it. Or, you know, just like random things like Twizzlers are really weak, which at least for me personally, like I never thought about that. And I don't know that if you were, you know, eating candy at the movie theater, you would think to look on the back of a Twizzler bag to see if there's wheat in it because you think of wheat, you think of bread. Um, but I think in having conversations with people that have lived with this kind of diagnosis and lifestyle, it makes you more aware of things um, and just kind of helps open your eyes to what types of foods might be problematic and what kind of questions should you be asking. Oh, wow. I did not know that about Twizzlers or at all. Um, and then also like with the French fries thing, that's like we said before, like that's just things that people probably just don't really even think of whether, you know, they are dealing with celiac or gluten intolerance or they aren't. Um, just a lot of things that, you know, like you said, you learn from surrounding yourself with people who have similar diagnoses as you do uh, to be able to learn from them and learn from their mistakes and being able to know like what to look for because you just don't know sometimes. And then sometimes you just learn from trial and error, um, which can be very, very, um, very, very hurtful at times, depending on how bad your symptoms are. But sometimes, I mean, that's at least for me, that's how I was able to learn um, for one of my allergies in specific. I had to learn the hard way to be like, that's a hard pass. It's a hard no. <laughs> exactly. It's a lot of it is trial and error. And a lot of it is what I've learned over the years is you have to just be willing to advocate for yourself and speaking up. Mm -hmm. I know, especially in the beginning, I was always afraid of being, you know, annoying, like going to restaurants and asking a thousand questions. I felt like I was being bothersome mm. um, or high maintenance. And over the years, I've become more comfortable with it just because I realized that if you're not willing to do that, then more often than not, that's how mistakes could happen. And people don't, you know, people would never intentionally try to make somebody sick, but especially because there isn't a universal level of awareness. Um, it happens sometimes, you know, another example that just pops into my head was soups. Like so many times restaurants will use a tiny bit of flour to thicken soups. Mm -hmm. And I've actually had, you know, restaurants or waiters say to me before, oh, it's gluten-free. There's just a tiny bit of flour in it. But that tiny bit of flour is a very big problem for somebody who's allergic to wheat or has celiac disease. Right. Um, and it's certainly not the restaurant trying to make anyone ill but they're just not thinking about it from that kind of perspective. Yeah. And so I think self-advocacy just becomes so important at times. Yeah, I definitely agree with you about that. 
But thank you so much for coming on to the Oh My Allergies podcast. It was really just a great talk to hear from your perspective about your celiac journey, learning more about your company, FOMO Baking Company, and just being able to learn more about, you know, what it's like to have celiac disease and being able to just learn from your perspective. So I definitely appreciate you coming on the show, Brittany. Thank you for having me. And if um, you want any more bites or any of your listeners want to try our FOMO baking bites, um, they can use the promo code OMA15 for 15% off. Yes. And I'll put that code in the show notes as well. So you guys can like copy and paste that in your checkout cart uh, when you're checking out on the website. Thank you for having me. This is great. Thank you so much, Brittany. So I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode and my conversation with the CEO and founder of FOMO Baking Company. I really enjoyed talking with Brittany, learned so much stuff about celiac through her talking about her celiac journey, learning so much about her company FOMO Baking, you know, learning what it's like to be an entrepreneur in the food allergy and dietary restriction space, you know, learning about what to look for when you are shopping for gluten-free products. If you are a person who just eats gluten-free or you're gluten-free for health reasons, just learned so much valuable information in this episode. And I hope you guys learned so much and were able to identify with um, a lot of the things that we talked about in this episode. If you're a person who has celiac disease or has a gluten sensitivity, a gluten intolerance, or just has food allergies in general, because we talked about a lot of different things that can be applicable to a lot of different allergies, especially food allergies. Speaking of FOMO baking, we have an exclusive code for Oh My Allergies listeners. So use code OMA15 at checkout to save 15% off of your purchase. So make sure that you use that promo code. Again, that promo code is OMA15. You use that at checkout to save 15% off of your purchase at FOMO Baking Company. So FOMOBaking.com. Also make sure that you connect with FOMO Baking Company on all platforms. Like I said, their website is www.fomobaking.com. They have a Facebook. Their Facebook is facebook.com forward slash FOMO Baking Co. And their Instagram is instagram.com slash FOMO Baking Co. So make sure you guys check them out. Follow them on all their platforms because they're really making some really cool products for people who have allergies like you and I. So I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. I hope you guys learned so much information and were able to get some sort of value from this podcast episode. Make sure you hit the subscribe button on your podcast platform of choice so you don't miss out on any of our future episodes and really cool episodes like this one. Make sure you follow us on Instagram. Our Instagram is at ohmyallergies and rate and review the podcast to help us grow the oh my allergies community tell everyone that you know and don't know about the oh my allergies podcast and i will talk to you guys in the next episode bye guys